You're listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast election series. Joining us to talk about his campaign for lieutenant governor in the Democratic primary on September 6th before November's general election is State Senator Adam Hines. Senator Hines currently represents the Berkshire, Hampshire, Franklin, and Hampton districts here in the Massachusetts State Senate and currently serves as the chair of a new Senate committee on reimagining Massachusetts post-pandemic resiliency. He's also the Senate chair of the Joint Committee on Revenue, vice chair of the Senate Committee on Intergovernmental Affairs, and is a member of the Senate Committee on Ways and Means. Before joining the Senate, Adam was the founding director of Pittsfield Community Connection, a youth violence prevention program. He also led the Northern Berkshire Community Coalition based in North Adams. Early in his career, he worked for former Congressman John Oliver and was part of John Kerry's campaign for president. He also spent nearly 10 years working with the United Nations in the Middle East, helping to establish a ceasefire in Syria back in 2012 and was also part of a team to eliminate Syria's chemical weapons program. So, Senator, why do you want to run for lieutenant governor right now? Um, you know, I'm convinced that this is one of those moments where, where we have a, a rare opportunity to make a generational step towards um, regional equity and equal opportunity, major major investments in our infrastructure and jobs, you name it. Um, right now in the legislature, we're literally putting billions of dollars aside for the next administration. Um, and, and so to me, uh, you know, I've loved being a state senator. You, you can get a lot of projects done for the region, but yet... For every one of those, there's probably 10 times where you go hat in hand to the governor and lieutenant governor to try to release more for the for your region or otherwise. And so so that's a big one. Is This is a real, real moment of, uh, where we can see a big leap and a big change in, in how we're investing in our commonwealth. Um, and the other one is, you know, coming from the far part of Western Mass, where I currently represent the 52 westernmost um, municipalities in the commonwealth. You know, I've, I've really seen that, that, that um, you know, people forget about corners of the Commonwealth. And um, and I want to make sure that, that that changes. And so having somebody who's familiar with the entire state uh, really is a priority for me as well. And you mentioned your experience in the Senate. In the intro, we talked about your experience working for the UN as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about how those two jobs have really prepared you for this run for lieutenant governor? Yeah, interesting. You know, when I first ran for the, the Senate, I, I, I said, God, I'm really going to de-emphasize the fact that uh, I spent time overseas, and uh, because to me, I felt like the reaction would be, "Oh, that's great, you were in Baghdad, but uh, what are you going to do about the pothole at the end of my street?" And even by the end of that first campaign, people were saying, "Hey, wait a second, you know, you're you're involved in negotiations in in you know these tough areas. Uh, maybe that helps you on Beacon Hill." And and so, and it is the case that that's actually. What I found as a state senator is, um, so I spent time in, in Jerusalem and in, in Iraq and Syria, um, and and I've got to say, nothing prepares you for standing up for your region in the state senator or taking on tough issues as lieutenant governor quite like holding your ground in a ceasefire negotiation with the um, the foreign minister of Syria, which is one of the things I did, um, and uh, and it's you know it really it really is um, relevant experience in in bringing people together. It's kind of been my my approach in the Senate is making sure that we have all sides at the table for the big decisions. And um, and honestly, in our politics today, it also feels like 
a relevant approach as well to, um, you know, rather than running to our corners, um, actually trying to, to see what's really at, at stake um, for everyone here. Being out in Western Mass, you understand kind of being, feeling like you're forgotten about some of those communities out there. Here in North Central Massachusetts, you know, we have not achieved our full economic potential as a region. When you look at Fitchburg, Leominster, and Gardner, and, and other communities across the 27 cities and towns that the chamber covers, uh, we need more attention in terms of economic development. How will you assist communities of North Central Massachusetts to achieve their true potential outside of that 495-128 belt that we often hear about? Exactly. And, and, and so this is, you know, I've spent my career in the Senate trying to correct some of the funding formulas that we have. Um, and you know, I created a new line item in the budget, for example, for schools with, with low and declining enrollment. Um, because in my district, I represent 25 different school districts, and a lot of them are experiencing population decline. You know, I, I represent part of Franklin County and Berkshire County, the, the two counties with decline. Um, and you just find that formulas made in Boston don't always have um, our schools and our towns um, and our cities uh, in mind. And so that, that's a big one is making sure that we're just looking at um, not only the amount that's spent uh, by region, but um, what, what the special needs are in each region. So that's a big one for me is in the infrastructure um, investments making sure that, you know, we have $9 billion now that we're starting to allocate. And, um, and so that's, uh, that speaks to, we better make sure that we're investing in the, the Fitchburgs and Gardeners and Lemonsers and, and others to make sure that, um, you know, we're all kind of turning this corner and, and make not only creating jobs in the short term, but making sure that we're ready um, to, to kind of uh, be poised for the work of the future. So that kind of leads me to that. My second point, I'm, I'm chairing a committee called Reimagining Massachusetts Post-Pandemic. Um, and a lot of what we're trying to do is say, hey, we've seen some shifts in the economy um, over the recent decades. And uh, what are we going to do to uh, make sure that we're uh, able to attract workers and business um, to our regions? Um, I, I, I tell a story about my father, um, you know, when when I was in, I guess, junior high, he was uh, uh, turning 50 and, and left a tool manufacturing company that, that left the Massachusetts, went to the southern part of the country. Um, and so he retrained himself as a, he went back to school, became a teacher and a coach. And, um, and, you know, I saw firsthand how a shifting economy, um, required that retraining. And, um, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's something that informs how I go about my work now in terms of, all right, uh, what is it about wage stagnation or stagnation or another, other changes in, in our, uh, in our companies that we have available. And we got to make sure that we're investing in, in bringing them to every region for sure. And you mentioned wage stagnation. Uh, we also can talk about the great resignation. Um, there's other jobs that were eliminated because of the pandemic. When we look at the tight labor market that we're facing here in Massachusetts, especially here in yeah. North central Massachusetts, what else do you think that needs to be done? And if you join the next administration, what would you advocate for to deal with that tight labor market issue? That's certainly not going away anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, literally, I can't talk to any uh, employer in my district and now across the Commonwealth without uh, workforce being at the top of their list of concerns. And, um, you know, I think it depends on the, the sector um, and the, the type of job that we're talking about. The, the solution is going to be slightly different. But to, to some degree, we've seen that folks are making a choice of, uh, hey, you know, is this the quality of life that I, I want for myself? And are there other op options out there? Um, so part of it has been when speaking with employers, it's um, supporting them lifting wages. That's been a solution that's worked for some. Um, some flexibility in, in saying, 
hey, look, childcare is a problem. <laughs> this is another big one that employers and employees come to me with. Um, the fact that it's either inaccessible or unaffordable, um, you know, that's something that, that we need to invest in as a commonwealth because it's going to support everybody in the workplace. Um, and then, you know, allowing for some of those, um, those flexibilities, I think I keep hearing uh, uh, quite a bit. So uh, let me just say for on the, in the, the childcare piece for a second, you know, I've recently I became a father. I've got a nine month old here. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that you can, depending on where you are in the Commonwealth, you can spend $20,000 a year on childcare. And it's just, you know, who can do that? It's, it's, it's crazy. And so at a moment when we're rethinking our institutions, um, that jumps out as a big one that we need to get right and we need to fix. And um, so I, I'm someone who supports things like universal pre-K. You know, why is it you, you don't have to pay for sending your kid to school for fifth grade, but if they're four years old, you do, um, you know, depending on where you are and how your arrangement is. And so I just feel like there's um, there's it's time for us to, to go beyond just thinking about K through 12 to, to think also about um, child care early ed and, and even uh, what we're doing, investing in community colleges and, and four-year colleges as well. So, sorry, I, I rambled a little bit on that one. Man. It's one that I, <laughs> I care about and think about often. When you look at how the current administration is handling the pandemic, what do you think the next administration needs to do differently? And how would you advocate handling the pandemic if you're elected as lieutenant governor this fall? Yeah, well, let's let's just hope that right now we're, we're, we're past the surge, it's safe to say, we're not past the pandemic, but let's say we're moving towards this endemic phase where, you know, if we all get our vaccine shots, um, you know, you might get sick when you, you catch COVID, but you, you know, won't necessarily have to go to the hospital. And so hopefully it's starting to get to that um, normal cold flu-like uh, scenario. Um, but it, it does take all of us doing our part and making sure we're getting our shots in the future and beyond. So, you know, I think now that we're, um, we, we know what the tools are that work. It's, it's been, you know, vaccines, it's been regular testing um, up until recently and masking as well. I think we're, um, we're we've seen the CDC guidelines um, and the state guidelines shifting there so that indoor masks, we're really just talking about folks who either have a, you know, immunocompromised or uh, have someone at home who isn't vaccinated. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a scenario that um, we're going to take into the next administration and saying, okay, uh, we've learned a lot of lessons about even just how to get vaccinations out to everybody, how to make sure testing is available to everybody. Those are the real nuts and bolts of how you manage this, I think, um, day to day moving forward. And, um, you know, so I think that maybe that's part of my assessment of how this administration has changed, uh, handled it. It felt like we were always playing catch up and always trying to, um, you know, understand what was needed. And, um, and so it was frustrating for us, honestly, to say, hey, you know, we've, we've seen that um, you know, we need a better, we don't, we can't just have mass vaccination sites, for example, um, you know, out in my area, the closest mass vaccination site was an hour away um, in Springfield. And so that wasn't helpful. I think making sure that we're really pushing into the communities um, is something we need to be deliberate about. And um, so there's, there's talk, for example, of reforming our, our, how our boards of health work and, um, and do you have 351 of them or can we um, consolidate a little bit? Um, and, and kind of be effective as, as a community. Um, so uh, there's a lot to work on there for sure. And, and we're, we're learning about um, the public health approach that I think not many of us were focused on before this and now everybody is. You talk about recovery and moving towards the endemic phase. Um, there's no question that some businesses and, and some populations were 
affected by the pandemic uh, disproportionately compared to others. So when we look at moving to this next phase, how can we ensure an equitable recovery for North Central Massachusetts residents and businesses, especially among some of our diverse and underserved populations? Yeah, so I'll start with the, especially the diverse and underserved populations. I mean, we've we've learned that there are you know communities, neighborhoods, and populations that were not, um, for example, in the first stages, not getting PPP loans, so paycheck per, uh, protection. And when you lift up the hood and ask why, it was oh well, there hasn't maybe been traditional relationships with community banks, um, and so. It really speaks to the, um, you know, how you design a program to say, okay, let's let's make sure that uh, the funds are getting to the communities uh, and to folks who really need them, and um, and and it may be a, a diversity of of approaches to it. Maybe a community banks, but maybe other, um, you know, organizations and entities and communities and the cities themselves, etc., to make sure that they're uh, getting where they need to be. So that even the design of, of some of these programs has been critical, and and also, you know, looking at um, things like like where you have challenges related to affordable housing and overcrowding and and so we saw that in certain cities where there was just major outbreaks early on um it became really a red flag for housing challenges not just public health challenges and and so um, that's a big one um to your point about how do we make sure that uh, you know our kind of the whole region is is able to prepare for the the future um you know to me, I feel like there is um, there's a lot of making sure that we have transportation in place, making sure we have housing in place, making sure we have um, workforce development in place. Those those often come up as the big three in my mind. Um, and so if people can afford to live, um, I, what I love about um, a place like North Central right now is is if people can work and live anywhere, you know, maybe you just go into Boston one day a week, but you can still live in Fitchburg. Um, you know, that's that's something that we're pitching out in, in far Western Mass as well, is that, hey, look, we've got a good quality of life and affordable living. Um, so take that job, that, you know, Boston salary or something like that and, and live out here. Um, and so that's uh, that's something that I think is really interesting. But to do that, you gotta make sure you have high-speed internet and transportation and, and, and good quality schools that we need to invest in. You mentioned work from home, and I know for some folks that is an, an opportunity to avoid some of the transportation issues that we have here in North Central Massachusetts and um, in, in other parts of the states like the Berkshires, like you mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of underserved regions, too, where public transportation, transportation options or lack of options is also a barrier to employment for many. What do you think needs to be done to fix transportation issues and improve access here in Massachusetts? Yeah. So I've, this has been a focus of mine, and, and particularly trains, um, and then our RTAs, and how you how you adjust models once you get out of um, maybe our downtowns where you have a concentration of population and shorter places to to travel to. So in in my district, I represent the biggest district in the legislature. It's the size of Rhode Island, um, and and as I mentioned, it's 52 municipalities from Vermont to Connecticut and um, and and the like. It covers four counties, and so you know. Maybe Ann Gobi is, is uh, one of the few who can kind of say, claim she has a comparable uh, kind of land mass. But if you, you deal with tra transportation issues in a place like ours, it, it's you know it's a little the, the the solutions for Boston aren't going to apply out here. And so because you do have to travel maybe further distances and you don't have as many people in every part of the um, say the RTA uh, uh, you know kind of service area and, and the like. And so for me, it's been, can we invest in on-demand services? Can we use 
um, you know, kind of technology to make sure that we're more efficient. I've been trying to invest in and gotten several grants um, worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to explore using all transportation assets moving around a region um, at any given time to communicate with each other. So you might have seniors and veterans and off schools, uh, off duty school transportation, as well as the RTAs, all, all kind of swarming around the area. Um, so I think it's going to take creative investments like that. Um, but I love the what we're calling the Northern Tier train service as well. You know, we've there's been a real resurgence in, in trains lately. Of course, we have the kind of east-west rail. Um, it's on the existing lines. We've had the Valley Flyer, which goes up from, you know, Springfield and Greenfield. Um, we're also studying now, uh, you know, I guess we're calling it the Northern Tier, but essentially along Route 2 and kind of, um, you know, Fitchburg out to North Adams. And um, to me, I think having those investments that really are critical for what we're talking about in terms of regional equity, making sure people feel like they can invest in our regions, people can live here and work anywhere. Um, so this is the time to be talking about those big infrastructure investments when we have $9 billion with a B um, coming to the Commonwealth from the feds for infrastructure. One of the other big topics of conversation has to do with climate change. Commonwealth currently working towards zero carbon emissions by 2050. A big concern for North Central Mass businesses is how can we approach this 2050 deadline, but also do it in a way that's affordable for businesses, for residents, so it's not going to be a cost prohibitor, not going to prevent expansion of business here in the Commonwealth. Yeah, that's a big issue, right? And, and I guess it's where I put my negotiator hat on is, is um, you know, how do you how do you uh, address the underlying needs of, of all sides? So address being aggressive in confronting climate change, um, and but also making sure that we're aggressive in, in um, economic development and expansion. And um, I, I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I, I think we can and, and better do both. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the quick answer that you often hear is, well, there are green jobs, you know, um, whether it's through solar, which is, which is, you know, admittedly, typically a one-time um, investment of, of work. Uh, but, you know, there are plenty of others as well. Um, I think when it comes to, uh, you know, the Baker administration did the climate, the transportation climate initiative, which is a, which is a big um, investment in, in making sure the whole region is, is, Kind of on the same page, and um, and so that's a, another big one going after the transportation space for that. And so we'll, you know, we have investment, for example, in in electric vehicle charging stations and and the like. And so I think um, what we've seen is energy costs by um, solar and wind can actually be lower than our traditional um, uh, carbon emitting sources of energy. And so that that part is an important one. Um, but you know, I think to me it's um, you know, if, if we have to make sure that we're supporting that transition um, for for several years, if there are concerns around that, then then we ha let's do it. Um, I think it's it's too important not to move, make progress in our our green infrastructure um, uh, to not make sure that we're we're still you know full speed ahead there. Pandemic has exacerbated a number of issues. I'm sure you've seen it in that working group that you're on. One of those has to do with the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. You've got businesses here in North Central Mass yeah. and across the Commonwealth who kept a full workforce yet still saw increases to their contribution yeah. rate, um, even despite ARPA funds being appropriated to the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. If you're elected, what yeah. do you propose the next administration does as a long-term solution to this expensive matter? Yeah, that's a big one. And you framed it well. It's, uh, you know, 
to, to no fault of uh, the businesses suddenly having to take on um, uh, a lot more expenses in this area. And, and so, you know, we're, we're continuing to take a swipe at it um, consistently and, and making sure the, the trust fund is stable. As you mentioned, we just put, um, you know, half a billion dollars in uh, during the, the first round of ARPA. We'll have another round of ARPA and, and, and other money to come um, down the line. And so the, the reality is, is, we're all committed to um, to making sure this isn't a um, an undue burden. Uh, it, it's it's another scenario where we we want to support the workers and the employers, and um, because folks you know who have had to stay home because of sickness, either for themselves or taking care of folks uh, at home, um, that's that was important strategy for uh, you know how we handle a pandemic and um, keeping our businesses afloat is a critical strategy for keeping a strong recovery on track, and so. Um, you know, I, I think you've seen that whenever there's um, is a real pinch, um, we've been we've been stepping up and putting money uh, on the table, and I think we'll continue to do that for sure. And and just to hammer home the point, um, we've we've done a five billion dollar ARPA spending bill for just the state. So this isn't money going directly to municipalities and other programs. We still have two point three billion dollars in ARPA uh, left. We have one point five billion dollar surplus uh, in the budget. Uh, we have eight billion dollars in infrastructure, so there's, you know, this should be the time where we can handle these these big challenges um, like this and, and and many others, and make sure that we're we're coming out of this stronger. And I know you're quite familiar with the asset that the Berkshires provide in terms of tourism. Tourism's third yeah. largest industry in the state, unfortunately one of the hardest hit by the pandemics. And despite the fact that it's yeah. such a large industry in the Commonwealth, uh, Massachusetts often falls near the bottom of the pack when you look at states um, in terms of investment into tourism marketing and support for the industry. How would you and the next administration help the region and the state capitalize on tourism to better compete with surrounding states that are also trying to grow their market share at our state's expense? Uh, you mentioned Vermont, you've got New Hampshire, uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, all competing for those same tourism dollars. I love this question and it's near and dear to my heart, I guess, because coming from the Berkshires, but also, honestly, um, uh, Western Franklin County, we're seeing a, a real surge in outdoor recreation, you know, people coming to fish, coming to rafts and kayak and mountain bike and ski. Um, and it's it's really world class um, facilities and and it's all accessible from New York City and Boston. So major population centers um, able to, to just drive a couple of hours and, and be in, you know, central mass, western mass. And um, and so. I, I prioritize investing in those um, resources. I just the last budget got half a million dollars for the um, a, a town in Western Franklin County that that um, really the the economy is now centered on outdoor recreation, and it's um, you know we we've seen that that is a it's a growing industry um, nationwide that is bigger than the auto industry and bigger than some of our major sectors of our economy, um, and and I don't think it's people have appreciated that, and so. Um, making sure that we're telling people that we're here too and that we have these natural assets um, or arts and culture and beyond. Um, you know, that's a, a big thing that I, I, my first committee that I chaired in the state Senate was the um, Arts, Tourism, Cultural Affairs. And, um, and so I was constantly beating my head, honestly, against the wall with the administration with um, because we'd see New York spending something like, you know, 10 times, if I remember the number right, um, what we spend on marketing for upstate New York. And so, um, you know, we, we felt like we were always, um, 
you know, had the, behind the eight ball. And um, so that's one thing. But I also think the other is making sure that dollars that we do spend are going to the areas that um, really are attracting folks. And, and, and so I think Central and Western Mass are certainly those areas where we're pulling people, um, you know, into the, uh, the areas where they can enjoy nature, where they can enjoy the arts that we have to offer or, um, or you know, and much more. So, um, yeah, that's a big one. And, and then the other, maybe the last piece there is just making sure that, um, you know, we're, we have the, the local infrastructure to allow for folks to come for big events, whether it's, you know, conventions and conferences or um, sporting events. And we've seen that as a useful thing as well. So. Now, Senator, I'm going to put you on the clock. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to convince uh, me and the listeners why you should have their vote in the Democratic primary on September 6th and then in the general election on November 8th. Starting right now, what would you say? Well, with me as your lieutenant governor, um, you would not have to worry uh, about someone who's waking up every single minute, every single day to say, how are we going to fight for every corner of the Commonwealth? Uh, what's happening outside of 495? Because I've seen firsthand that um, every region is not made the same. And we're, we're often fighting uh, to make sure we get our fair share of resources. And that's one thing that got me in this race. Um, and, uh, and one thing that I would want to make sure I continue, I think everyone should have my cell phone and be able to call me and say, Hey, look, we've got a problem here. Um, let's cut through the government red tape and, um, and help out our town. And so, um, I would look forward to doing that with you. And, and I'm also someone who can bring my background in negotiation to say, make sure that everyone gets a voice and a seat around the table. That's how I operate. For listeners who want more information about your campaign, Senator Hines, uh, where can they go? Uh, adamhines.org, so it's A-D-A-M-H-I-N-D-S.org. Uh, That's where we have our issues page and my email and um, and the like and a little bit about my background. And um, and so, you know, I, I look forward to earning everyone's support. I think this is a this is a critical moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've got the background to, to take on this big moment and um, someone will look out for every corner of the Commonwealth for sure. And for those who are joining us right now, we've been chatting with Senator Adam Hines. This has been another election series episode of the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. I'd like to thank Senator Hines for talking to us about his platform as one of the Democratic candidates in the race for lieutenant governor. The primary is scheduled for September 6th. The general election is slated for the fall is slated for a little bit later in the fall on November 8th. Senator, thank you so much for being a part of the program today. Thank you. I really appreciate being uh, you having me and uh, thanks for all the work that you do for the region as well. You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com.